Hey, I'm Alan Hunter. You're listening on the Pantheon Network. First, the bad news. SAP Business AI won't help you generate Cubist versions of your family's holiday photos. But it will help you understand which supplier is best to help you roll out your plant-based packaging in Southeast Asia. Or identify the training your junior project manager needs to rise up the ranks. And automate repetitive tasks while you focus on big innovations. So you can be ready for the next opportunity. Revolutionary technology. Real-world results. That's SAP Business AI. This episode is brought to you by Paramount+. Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG-13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Looking to expand or move your company? Look no further than Ohio. With a talented workforce for in-demand industries like tech, healthcare, engineering, manufacturing, and more, you can staff up and scale for growth. Ohio's central location and reliable infrastructure will help you impress your customers, while Ohio's affordable cost of living and quality of life will excite your employees. Why survive somewhere else when your business can thrive in Ohio? Visit successinohio.com today. Progressive presents Adjusting to the Suburbs. I never really thought about tools until I bought a house in the suburbs. It's like this weird homeowner test if I need a tool for a project and don't have it. And my neighbor Ted loves to give me that look when I ask to borrow a pole saw. A year ago, I didn't even know pole saws existed. And now I gotta borrow one from Ted? What is happening? Anyway, when you save with Progressive by bundling your home and auto, that's the easy part of adjusting to the suburbs. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company coverage provided in service by affiliates and third-party insurers. My manager called me and he says, uh, you got a gig in Reno. And I said, where? And he says, the Coliseum. And I went, we got a gig in the Coliseum. We don't even have a bass player right out loud. He said, <laughs> and I said, when's the show? And he goes, tonight. And I went, are you crazy? It, it, was, it was insane. Tom Cruise was on the motorcycle. And then he parked it. He went, he went in and he put a quarter in the jukebox. And they stopped in there. He said, can you write a song for that moment? Being a ballsy Canadian, I said, absolutely. I think you can write a song for that. <laughs> When you need it, he said, Thursday. I said, you know, today's Monday, right, guys? Hello and welcome to episode 58 of Vintage Rock Pod, the ultimate classic rock podcast that proudly claims that my music is better than yours. I'm Paul Stevenson. Thanks, as always, for hitting play. Now, for this week's show, I managed to grab some time with the lead singer and frontman of a band with more than 20 million record sales, which includes four consecutive multi-platinum selling albums in the US alone. Now, not just platinum selling albums, four multi-platinum selling albums. They have a number of big hit singles too, plus have written songs for some of the biggest movies of the 80s, the likes of Top Gun and Footloose. They hold a record for the most Juno Awards won in a single year and were inducted into the Canadian Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 2009. I am, of course, talking about the band Loverboy and their lead singer, Mike Reno. But before I go any further, though, I just wanted to mention the very sad passing of Foo Fighters drummer Taylor Hawkins. Now, I know it's not technically vintage rock, but... I just felt I had to mention it. Taylor seemed like one of the the good guys of the rock world, didn't he? A great guy, in fact. His stage presence was immense, and I don't think I ever heard anyone say a bad word about him. 
every interview I've ever seen of him as well, he just seems so full of life and bubbly and just a great character. I have seen the Foo Fighters live three times in concert and he always gave 100%. He was a real showman. As you'd expect, tributes have rained in from so many people, from the likes of Ozzy Osbourne to the Zombies. Now, passing at the age of just 50, it kind of is a bit of a stark reminder as well, isn't it? As if we need it, that life is genuinely precious. 50, no age at all. I wish his family and his friends love and comfort at this difficult time. Right, on to a few shout-outs then. Don't forget to give the show a follow on the social media channels, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram and YouTube. Just search for Vintage Rock Pod and you'll find us pretty much everywhere. So with uh, Mike Reno coming on the show, I thought I'd pose the question on the Vintage Rock Pod socials this week. What's your favourite song by a Canadian singer or group? And as expected, you guys certainly delivered. A couple of mentions for the Groover from Vancouver. Brian Adams, Mike Carr, saying fits you good, while Kevin Williams on Twitter went for It's Only Love with the great Tina Turner. Mike Carr also mentioned a couple of Neil Young songs, Like a Hurricane and Rockin' in the Free World. I love that song, by the way. Unsurprisingly, there were plenty of shouts for Rush. Bill McHugh and uh, James Lay both going for 2112. Joey Michaud saying Rush's Tom Sawyer. Gareth Smith saying Spirit of Radio and Pat Power saying Limelight by Rush as well. Philip Head said this, Rush and Triumph. That was his choice. Uh, seen them both in the 80s. Market Square Arena, Indianapolis. Outstanding every time. Great memories. High school soundtrack. Awesome era. Definitely. Uh, as for some other choices, Joe K said the Kings with This Beat Goes On, switching to Glide. Dave Alcock says he considers the Lazies Canadian, although I think they're an Australian band, if I'm right. The song he went with was Nothing but Trouble. Uh, Michelle Verhus went for Joan of Arc by Leonard Cohen or Universal Soldier by Buffy St. Marie. And Craig Ising went for Corey Hart's Never Surrender and Loverboy's Turn Me Loose, which leads us nicely back to this week's show. So, I was fortunate enough to grab some time with Loverboy's frontman Mike Reno. Now, the band are one of those rare commodities these days. Now, apart from Scott Smith, who sadly passed away in 2000, the other members of the band are all the original guys from when the group formed back in 1979. Paul Dean on guitar, Matt Frenette on drums, Doug Johnson on keys, and, of course, Mike Reno on vocal duties. And since 2000, for the past, well, 22 years, Matt, or Spider, as he's known, has been the band's bass player. Now, the band have played together pretty much that whole time as well, from 1979, apart from a couple of years at the end of the 80s. They, they split for a little while in 1988, did a little couple of gigs in 89, and then came back properly in 91, and have, have toured and released um, sporadically as well ever since then. So it's fantastic to see a group like that stay together so here you go please enjoy my chat with lover boys mike reno i'm delighted to be joined on the line by mike reno from lover boy hi mike hello how are you doing i'm good i'm very good indeed it's nice to see you because we're speaking over zoom and the last time i saw a video of you over zoom was a very cool promo video that you did with uh, tommy shaw and kevin cronin to promote an awesome looking tour that you guys have got lined up i mean it's called live and unzoomed Ario Speedwagon, Sticks, and Loverboy all out on the tour. But first of all, that promo is very funny. Did you enjoy doing that? <laughs> you know what? It's, it was funny doing it, and I thought they would uh, you know, use whatever they needed. But they ended up using these little throwaways that we didn't think would ever make yes. it scare. But that's kind of what makes it funny, Paul. Absolutely, absolutely. So live and unzoomed. Un- I mean, it's a it's a huge tour, isn't it? 45 cities across the U.S. I mean, first of all, how did it all come about? Well, you know, Live Nations was planning on doing something uh, as soon as the pandemic eased up and everybody got back to normal. And uh, 
the guys in the two bands, both Styx and Ario Speedwagon, we've got to know over the years and had a good relationship with them, uh, done concerts together, things like that. I toured uh, Europe with uh, Kevin Cronin and, and we had a fun time. You know what happened is Live Nations wanted to add, add a little extra something, so they asked us to do it. And it was the boys in uh, uh, Tommy and uh, from Styx and Kevin, and they all suggested they invite Loverboy. And I thought, what a great honor. I was really, really blown away by it. I'm glad they asked us because we're playing the big venues, uh, the big outdoor sheds, they call them. You know, it's like 20, 25,000 people. <laughs> and there's going to be like big sound, big lights, lots of people. And it's about time because we've been hiding in our house for long enough. Absolutely. You say big lights, big sound, big venues and big hits as well. I mean, three huge bands all together on one bill. <laughs> you know what? There's going to be a lot of hit songs on that stage. huh? Listen, um, I know we got about nine major hits. Uh, could you already open that for? For centuries, they got way more hits than sticks. I mean, every song of theirs is a hit. I mean, it really is going to be outrageous. It's going to be outrageous. Absolutely, indeed. And people can still get a few tickets that are left over now if they go on online and search for them. But uh, in terms of playing live, I mean, this 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 tour with such established act and things like that, I mean, it's harking back to your very first gig with Loverboy back in 1979 when you, you supported kiss i mean what do you remember from that very first uh, event of yours well listen paul when we uh we, we got a phone call. i got a phone call my manager called me and he says uh you got a gig tonight Reno." and i said where and he says the coliseum and i went we got a gig in the coliseum we don't even have a bass player for crying out loud he said <laughs> and he said well find somebody i said well we've been practicing with uh, uh the bass player for april wide he's been in town hanging out he's been coming to our rehearsal halls and uh, he's a great guy why don't we ask him to play the show? And I said, when's the show? And he goes, tonight. And I went, are you crazy? <laughs> it, it was it was insane. And it's because the New York Dolls who were traveling with guests, that must have been quite a thing. They, they somehow got rejected at the border. So <laughs> they, for whatever reason, right, Paul? <clears throat> and uh, so we ended up uh, having to put together uh, a bunch of guys that were almost ready to be in the band. And, and it turns out we, uh, we had Jim Clinch on bass. And he went back to April Wine and we ended up filming the spot with Scotty. And uh, that was our first live show. We didn't even have a recording at the time. It was very nerve wracking. And uh, it was like almost, uh, I don't know, it was all, I was insane. I, I couldn't even believe we were doing it because first of all, most bands that warm up Kiss get booed off the stage. All they want to see is Kiss. But yep. the manager said, you guys didn't even get anything thrown at you. This is a, this is a pretty, good, pretty good start. So <laughs> we did it. and. Uh, you know, I saw Gene Simmons a while back. He mentioned he remembered it, right? He remembered the first wow. time. He's been hanging out in the Vancouver area quite a bit uh, um, and Whistler and stuff because I think his daughter's living up there. Anyways, uh, what a beginning, huh? What a beginning it was. I mean, that was 79. You fast forward, what, 12 months or so, and Loverboy are on everybody's lips, aren't they? I mean, you went in the studio there with uh, Bruce Fairburn and Bob Rock. You recorded your first album, and... And boom, it sold like hotcakes, didn't it? Shifted a couple of million copies in, in the US and, and wow. Yeah, million copies in Canada. We had uh, an invitation shortly thereafter. The record started selling. We had an invitation to play American Bandstand with Dick Clark. And as soon as I heard that, I knew we were going to be uh, uh, busy afterwards because they have a viewership, I think, of 60 million. This is you know when it was happening. <laughs> And that was a while back and everything, but it was a big deal. I mean, Dick Clark, and he really dug the band. He heard the record. He said, I got to get these guys. 
we were actually all out of, out of the country. We were down in Mexico trying to have a little bit of a break. And all of a sudden we got called from our manager. He says, find the guys and uh, get back to Los Angeles. Dick Clark wants you on the show on Saturday. I said, it's Thursday. He goes, I know, get everybody, let's get going. So we had to get our stuff. We had to get our clothes. We had to get our equipment. It was crazy. And Dick Clark was a great guy. He really was. Yeah. He was high energy. And I remember one time we played with Dick Clark on his show and we handed him a gold record because we thought he was very instrumental on helping us sell lots of records. And he actually said to us that that's the first time he was given a gold record on the air. And uh, he was like, he was almost crying. It was, it was really touching. It was that he was a cool guy. Absolutely. I think I saw that clip on YouTube. Actually, it was it was it was really touching indeed. Just talking about that that year then, I mean, you guys, you're very famous for the, the fact that you tour so hard. You're on the road a lot. You play an awful lot of dates. And, and back then you were playing an awful lot of dates with some with some really big names like ZZ Top and Cheap Trick and, and Def Leppard and Kansas and all these sorts of things. I mean, in those early days, did you learn from those guys on the tour? Boy, did we ever. We had, uh, you know what it was? To, like, I'll give you an example. We went out with uh, Kansas. And... Steve Walsh was one of my favorite singers and still is of all time. I mean, when he breaks mm-hmm. into all these great songs, Dust in the Wind, and just, I mean, just fabulous stuff. And then yeah, I used to watch from side stage and I just said, wow, this is big time. We really learned a lot from that band. Um, they were so talented and they really had something going for them. And they just did everything just right. We kind of learned there's certain things you should say. There's certain times it helped us plan our set a little better. And then we moved on to a different group and which happened to be uh, ZZ Top. Learned a lot from them. <laughs> and I loved watching them because who doesn't love ZZ Top, right? <laughs> oh, God. And then Journey. Of course, Journey was on uh, Columbia Records along with us. And they had Escape out and we had Get Lucky out. So Escape was their big record and uh, <laughs> Get Lucky was our big record. And uh, between that, touring all across America, we had seven-day tour buses flying down the road, trucks all everywhere. I mean, it was a sellout show everywhere. We learned a lot from them. And then we went off on our own and we took what we learned from all those stages and we started doing our own thing and headlining. And it was, uh, it was, it was fabulous. It was, it was great. Absolutely. And you mentioned Get Lucky there. I mean, the, the success of your first album and the, the huge sales and the and the, the publicity and the widespread frame that it brought you. I mean, the second album, it's been dubbed the, the difficult second album for many bands, but that certainly wasn't true for you because, like you said, Get Lucky came out and that just went massive as well, didn't it? Yeah, we, we really couldn't believe what was happening. And that's back when people bought records. I mean, you know what yes. I mean? Nowadays, you just have people, you have listens and you have likes. I don't even know what that is. You know, back then, people used to dish out hard, cold, hard cash and buy your record, which I thought was great. So what we have to do, uh, you know, nowadays, we just have to uh, tour and have fun. Hope everybody buys a T-shirt, you know. <laughs> Absolutely. And the, the big the big song that, that still resonates today off Get Lucky, obviously, Working for the Weekend. It, it's such an anthem. It's it, it's just huge and everyone knows it's so popular. But we like to hear the stories behind the songs here on Vintage Rock Pod. So can you can you give us a little insight into to where that song came from and, and, and how it developed? Well, I think we took a little break. We had like a two week thing between uh, the tour and when we got back and Paul had uh, started work on a song and he called me over and says, you got to come and help me with this song. And he had it all figured out, uh, you know, to a certain extent. And that's kind of how Paul and I work. He'll get something started and I'll come and help him finish it. And we'll finish the lyrics and we'll get things going. And at the time he had, the idea was he was saying, I was just watching people walking to and from 
you know, they get off, off work and they go get their case of beer and they get their dry cleaning. They're going to go out in the weekend and have some fun. And he thought everybody was, uh, you know, uh, they were just waiting for the weekend, which was pretty good. And I started saying and working for the weekend and he just looked at me like, holy crap, that's so much better. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and that's kind of how Paul and I work. And uh, the cowbell was actually just part of the click track. At the beginning. You know, how you run a click track. When you when you're cutting the record to make yeah. sure everybody's in the same tempo, so you have bonk bonk, you know, and bonk 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 bonk, and I just said we should keep that in there. I like that at the beginning anyway, so we kept it in. And working with uh, Fairburn, of course, fantastic, uh, world class. Uh, at the beginning, though, this was he was just getting started, and so were we, and so was Bob Rock, and the second engineer was Mike yeah. Fraser, and he's now doing ACDC albums. You know what I mean? So. We all started at the same place at the same time, and we started at the bottom, and we just all worked really hard to get to where we're at. And on the back of that came the, the record success at the Juno Awards. Now, for anyone listening that's not aware of what Juno Awards is, it's kind of the equivalent of the Grammys in America or the Brit Awards here in the UK. Now, you guys won six of them, didn't you, in 1982? And I think that's a record that still stands today. Is that correct? We won six, and then we got another one for a, a producer, and Paul was part of the production team. We had... Uh, that would be seven. I can't even believe it. Nobody's come <laughs> close to that. And uh, the, it was almost like ridiculous. You know who was uh, the MC uh, for the show that year was Burton Cummings, right? And it was kind of funny because he said, we'll be right back with the Loverboy Awards right after these words from our sponsors. <laughs> <laughs> you know, which I thought was really funny. And, you know, Burton's a great guy and a good friend. Absolutely. Now, the huge success continued with the, the two albums that came after that as well, Keep It Up and, and Loving Every Minute of It. But they both went platinum, double platinum, in fact, in the US. And, but I want to mention movie soundtracks because your songs have been used on, on many, many movies. And you guys even did, um, was it the United States theme tune for the, the 84 Summer Olympics? But one I want to ask you about was uh, Top Gun. It's a classic movie. Everybody loves it. And obviously, Heaven in Your Eyes was from that. How did that come about? Was that something that was written especially for the film and did they approach you or what was the what was the story behind that one? I got asked to, to attend a meeting in Los Angeles. So I hopped a plane, went to Los Angeles, entered the Paramount Studios lot and I found the office for uh, Simpson and Bruckheimer. Now they were the team and they were doing the movie. And I walked into this giant office. It was a big, huge office. In the middle of the office, they had a, a, one of the popcorn machines making popcorn, so it really smelled good. And they're pacing, and they're walking back and forth and talking to each other as they walk back and forth. And the secretary <laughs> told me to go in. And so I went in, and I'm standing there, and finally they both stopped and looked at me. And they went, can we help you? And I said, you wanted to talk to me. I'm like, you know, from Loverboy. And he said, and then, oh, oh, good. Come over here. Come over here. And they went around the corner and there was a TV set up, a VCR. So they plugged it in and it showed the, the black, old black Porsche go screaming up the hill, chasing the, the motorcycle, right? Tom Cruise was on the motorcycle. And then he parked, he went, he went in and he put a quarter in, in the jukebox. And they, and they stopped it there. He said, can you write a song for that moment? And I said, being a ballsy Canadian, I said, Absolutely, I we could write a song. And I said, when do you need it? He said, Thursday. I said, you know, today's Monday, right, guys? <laughs> right? You know what I mean? 
he needed it in three days. So I said, I, I phoned Paul and said, let's get that song we were working on. Because um, we hadn't finished it, but it would be perfect for the movie. And they put it up on the thing and started putting some parts in. And I flew back and I went in and sang it. And we put some harmonies on it, and built a whole new bridge that kind of had something to do with the movie. And then we mixed it and sent it down by Thursday. Wow. I mean, it was one of those crazy times. And they put it on the album and the album sold like 27 million. It's like insane. It was a real experience for us. And then, you know, kind of, I think what happened is they wanted kind of something like the thing I did for Footloose, which was almost paradise, right? And I think that one came out first and they saw how much that sold. And they said, we got to do a soundtrack with rock bands for uh, Top Gun as well. So it just like one fed up the other as, as it does so often. And uh, it just turned out great for us. And I remember when uh, I got the opportunity to do Almost Paradise. I picked Ann Wilson immediately. So a lot of people don't know, but the Hart spent about 11 years in Vancouver. Yeah. Um, they were trying to get out of, uh, out of Seattle for a while, and probably because they didn't want the boyfriends to have to enlist in the army or something. <laughs> yeah, we laugh about it now, but it's, you know, uh, pretty serious. You know, you go from playing the guitar to shooting the rifle. I don't think so. No, no. So, so they were up there playing all over, t- all over town. I remember, and they were really great at doing Led Zeppelin stuff. And that's really kind of what they're famous for. And then they started doing their own stuff. And it turns out we recorded uh, Heaven in Your Eyes in the same studio that Hart recorded two of their biggest albums in, called Mushroom Studios. And uh, when I was asked to do it, I said, uh, I'm going to, I mean, they said, you could choose whoever you want to sing. And before he even left the room, I just said, I'd like to do it with Ann Wilson. So they set it up. And they, and they made it happen. And uh, wow, what an experience that was. Absolutely. And just in terms of the, the songwriting process there, you, you mentioned yourself and Paul. I mean, do things happen that quickly? Because that, that sounds insane to me to be asked on a Monday to, to come up with a song and have it all finished by the Thursday. I mean, is that something that you guys are so finely tuned that you can do? You, you could do that sort of thing? Well, first off, it wasn't written immediately after. It was written before then, but we changed it for the movie. Uh, okay. We needed to... This was a song that we were probably going to put on our next album, you know, big ballad. Yeah. But when the funny thing was when, when I did almost paradise, Paul sat, he wanted to talk to me and he, you know, he's a pretty serious guy. He's a good friend. We've never really had an argument, but he said to me, Mike, if we do, if you do that, if you do that love ballad, it may just kill the career. I said, what are you talking about? He says, cause we don't do love ballads. You know, we don't do soft, soft songs. And I said, well, Paul, let me just tell you this much. In my opinion, if the song and the movie do nothing, then nobody cares. And if it does big time, then everybody's going to watch it. And it's just going to make everybody, you know, better. And nowadays, if my wife's with us, she sings it with me normally. Um, Nowadays, if she travels with us, we'll do almost paradise. And the crowd goes crazy because they really love the song. So it turns out, you know, that... When they asked us Top Gun, they wanted a ballad. Kind of, you know what I mean? So yeah, it all yeah. worked in our favor. But, you know, the song was kind of half written. And when I came home, we basically recorded it and finished it. Otherwise, I don't think it would have happened. <laughs> so that was, uh, you know, thanks to a few friends of ours in uh, Vancouver that kind of had, they were in the studio and they had, they, they were getting going. And Paul went down and we got going on it, we finished it. We put drums on it. We did this, we did that. And we made it happen. In that record time, which is really kind of when I look at it now, it's like, wow, that's insane. It really is insane. 
Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, and talking about the songwriting process with yourself and Paul and things like that, you, you released uh, a song recently, didn't you, called Release, funny enough. And I, I love the lyrics in there. I mean, could have stopped if we wanted to. It's a bond that can't be broken. It, it's, it's the story of the band and the fact that the band have been together for so long. And there are lots of bands, not knocking them, but they have maybe one or two members from the glory days. But you guys, obviously, Scott aside of his sad passing, but you guys have all stayed together for such a long time, haven't you? Even the new guy's been with us for 22 yes, 20 years. years yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, for us, it's like we actually wrote that song with the audience, with our audience in mind. We were kind of we were congratulating the audience for being uh, loyal, really. And and they come to all the shows. We got a gal that shows up. for She's just she's the 129th show the other day. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and she, she worked constantly. So getting, you know, getting some time off to see shows is really hard for her. And she was in the audience the other night. We did the first show in, in two years, and she was in the audience for the first show. And I actually asked her to put her hand up. I told everybody to look at her. I said, thanks for the you know, 129th show, and uh, we're going to dedicate the song to you. And there was this girl named Andrea. And, you know, she traveled, uh, I don't know, five hours to get there. You know, and it was a snowy day, a snowy night. So that's dedication. And a lot of the lyrics are, are kind of rebounding from us. We're standing up here throwing it out to you and you're giving it back. That's really what the song's about. And we did need a release, especially now after that two years off. Everybody needed a release, kind of like hallelujah. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't we just? Uh, now, obviously, you're going to be on the t on the road uh, with Ario Speedwagon and Sticks, as we said. It starts at the end of May and, and rolls all the way through to September. But what's your plans for, for after that then, for, for yourself and for Loverboy going into 2023? Is it is it new music? Is it is, Are you coming to Europe, for instance? I'd love to come to Europe. I just hope somebody invites us over there. It's going to be a promotion thing. You know, promoters got to bring you over. Um, we did have a, a, a lot of good uh, fan base in uh, in Germany and Switzerland and that whole zone, the Bavarian zone. So, and we had some promoters there that was that actually said we should get you guys to come back with the full bands. They wanted us with Sticks and they wanted us with Mario Speedback. They said that would be a perfect venue for Europe and, of course, great for England. I think England would like it too. And, and uh, United, yeah. you know, United Kingdom, I think, it's still called that. <laughs> <laughs> it is at the moment yeah <laughs> well my grandparents were from ireland so ah. i feel a bit you know yeah anyways it'd be nice i'll probably go from the tour to the hospital however because <laughs> <laughs> after all those shows um in the big venues and the tour bus is probably going to kill me but oh, wow. <laughs> we would probably love to do a new album for one thing when we finish this tour and maybe uh Maybe somebody will invite us to uh, to come to Europe. We would love it. That'd be fantastic. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure chatting with you, Mike. Uh, I wish you all the luck on the road. Um, I hope the tour bus isn't too bad, but uh, I'm sure that playing in front of those huge audiences <laughs> will certainly make up for it. Yeah, it's going to be so great, Paul. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. Mike Reno there. I tell you what, what a gig that's going to be. Loverboy Sticks and Ario Speedwagon all on the same bill. If you're in the US and you're listening to this and you haven't got your tickets yet, definitely check them out and see if they're coming near you because they probably will do because there's 45 different cities they're hitting. So definitely worth checking them out. On the subject of uh, three great bands on one bill, I am personally looking forward to May the 12th when I get to see Whitesnake, Foreigner and Europe all play together at the Hydro in Glasgow. Myself and six friends have all got tickets and it's going to be a hell of a night. I'm a big fan of all three bands, to be honest with you. And I believe it's supposed to be David Coverdale's farewell tour as well. So, yeah, 
cannot wait for that. But back to Loverboy. And they are, of course, the subject of this week's top fives. If it's the first time you've listened to Vintage Rock Pod, this is where I give you my favourite five songs from the artist or the band in question. But remember, it's a personal choice, a subjective list, so it's okay to disagree. In fact, I encourage it, as I love to hear your top fives and see how they compare to mine. So here we go. My favourite five songs from Loverboy, according to Vintage Rock Pod. At five is a track that's still a staple on rock radio today and appears in plenty of Hollywood movies recently as well. It's a big catchy number and was a big hit for the group from their second album, Get Lucky, in 1981. And number five is Working for the Weekend. Four is perhaps an unusual choice, I'm not sure it was even a single, and it comes from their fifth album, Wildside, in 1987. It's got a grittier feel to it that's always appealed to me, and Mike's voice on the raspier side of things too. And number four is Love Will Rise Again. At three is another non-single, I think, although its video did get a fair amount of play on MTV. It comes from their second album, Get Lucky, and number three is Lucky Ones. one of their best-known songs, and to be fair, it's a real earworm. Not as bombastic as others, but it's catchy and memorable nonetheless. It was their first single released from their debut album. At two is Turn Me Loose. Number one is the title track to their fourth album. It's a pounding, anthemic sing-along track. It's a, a lot of fun and is one of those big 80s rock tracks that I still love to hear. From 1985, my favourite song from Loverboy is Loving Every Minute of It. So 
there you go, my favourite five songs from Loverboy. As always, I'd love to hear your thoughts. Where do you agree? Where do you disagree? Let me know your top fives. Drop me an email, vintagerockpod at gmail.com, and I'll give you a mention on next week's episode. Right, well, thanks for listening to this one. I hope you did enjoy this interview. And if you did, please do check out the brilliant back catalogue of guests that I've had on the show previously. If you're a fan of Canadian music, then we've had Lee Aaron, Metal Queen, of course. She was on the programme. And we've had Lawrence Gowan, who's now with Sticks, on the programme as well. Although he did have a huge kind of back catalogue and a great career on his own in Canada before he joined Sticks. So definitely worth checking out those ones. Plus, many, many more artists. If you're into your 80s rock, then there's always Klaus Miner from The Scorpions. Uh, lead singer of the band there lead singer of Rat there is Stephen Pierce who I've interviewed there's Joey Tempest on there from Europe and uh, Jeff Pilson from Dokken so plenty of choice for you to listen back to as well as many others on there as well Rock and Roll Hall of Famers Grammy Award winners multi-platinum selling artists galore and don't forget to hit the subscribe or follow button on whatever podcast player you are listening to this on so that you don't miss any other great episodes that will come your way but that's it for episode 58 then until next week remember if you come across anyone who isn't a fan of classic rock just tell them my music is better than yours take care Progressive presents Adjusting to the Suburbs. I never really thought about tools until I bought a house in the suburbs. It's like this weird homeowner test if I need a tool for a project and don't have it. And my neighbor Ted loves to give me that look when I ask to borrow a pole saw. A year ago, I didn't even know pole saws existed. And now I gotta borrow one from Ted? What is happening? Anyway, when you save with Progressive by bundling your home and auto, that's the easy part of adjusting to the suburbs. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company coverage provided in service by affiliates and third-party insurers.